You're listening to Security Speaking, the SSI podcast. Formed by the merger of AYSCO Security Consultants and DTS Security, launched in 2020, Kent, Ohio-based Sage Integration provides commercial and industrial market solutions and embedded services for clientele that includes Fortune 100 corporate accounts. To find out more about how Sage is changing preconceived notions around security integration, SSI convened a meeting of the minds with CEO Eric Frazier, COO John Nemirovsky, and Vice President Jim Geyer. You know, as you go to market now, is your play uh, more focused on you know operational improvements or on the security part of it, and how do you balance that when you present it to the end users? Yeah, so so what's interesting is is is, and I I kind of keep the business simple. I've got people that everybody on this call knows more than me about this industry, right? I, you guys have all done this for a while, but I keep it pretty simple. When I when I when I talk to a lot of end users and other integrators, you know, I found that that, and I'll I'll give you an example that hopefully will make sense. But um, and I, I've done this a bunch. I live we live in Charlotte. And there's a popular there's a popular Southeast restaurant chain now that's nationwide. You know the one I'm speaking of. <laughs> I'm not sure. Chick-fil-A. Okay. And why Chick-fil-A is so, Chick-fil-A is twice as profitable as the next fast food chain in size, Um, twice as profitable. And and why they are is because they have a consistent process, time in, time out, right? You You go into their facilities and the employees are amazing. They have a great customer experience. They have consistency with their product. Um, the locations look the same. So it's, it's creating that repeatable process. And I jokingly, but this is true, a survey came out and ranked Chick-fil-A as, as the healthiest fast food option. And Chick-fil-A sells fried chicken and French fries. But because they have such a, they have such a consistent experience, right? And, and because they have such a, a great customer experience, that one, they're more profitable, and two, they, they have loyal customers beyond loyal. So this industry you know, I think creating a repeatable process that won't embarrass the end user is kind of the table stakes. That's kind of kind of what you, you can do that. You've already vaulted yourself ahead of a lot of the competitors. The competitors, again, have taken their eye off the ball and haven't focused on process, right? They focused on their size. They focused on acquisitions. But nobody's focused on best of breed and, and, and repeatable processes. So as simple as that sounds, and by the way, it's difficult to do, um, that's what we focused on is creating that that consistent process that that people can can go to bed kind of feeling good about. Maybe a little color to that, Scott, if it's okay. You know, one of the things Eric's uh, empowered us to do here is we've put a lot of a lot of detail and structure and training around people, process, and partners. So we met measure utilization rates of everybody in the field. We measure their efficiency on every job and every service call. We track return trips to service calls. Um, we set KPIs around them. We're looking for, for our team to be 95% utilized. We, we've put together incentive plans for people to, to hit those utilization efficiencies and margin goals and customer satisfaction goals, purchasing goals. Uh, you know, This morning, we had a meeting with our, our purchasing team setting KPIs out for, for, for 2021, knowing that we'll purchase uh, north of $30 million worth of equipment in, in, the, in this time frame. So, you know, purchasing is a key area for the company and, and just purchasing 
one or 2% better can drop half a million dollars to the bottom line. So we put a lot of tools in place, training in place. We've had uh, uh, all our project managers, security project management certified. Uh, so they run the job the same way. They use the tools we put in place with Smartsheets and Sedona. They run the project with the end in mind. So what's the end date? And they build their plan backwards. Um, so, so Eric's empowered us to put a lot of those tools in play. Well, you know, having an embedded model in particular, I would think, is a, a got its own unique challenges in terms of, you know, if, if uh, you know, the end users are closing their facilities and that kind of thing. So was that an issue to navigate? Some, some you know, it depends on the customer. I'll give you, you know, one example, obviously, you know, it, we, we, we focus on the corporate campus side. We don't do the big box, big box locations. And yeah, they, they went from, you know, 10,000 people in Atlanta in an office to they're currently 2000. So they're 10 buildings to one. Right. So, yeah, there was definitely a a um, a shrink in that that footprint, whether it's temporary or not. I think we all are wondering. I think there'll be some coming back of some sort, but we'll, we'll plan accordingly. But it caused us, you know, when you have when you have embedded employees and you have a good reputation. But so it caused us to shift. Um, our, our, our people to, to focus on other areas. So they have distribution centers, they made a few acquisitions. And so it kind of has you shift um, and you try to make do, but you know, for the most part, you know, when you have good partners, they, they, it's amazing how all of them were almost in our corner saying, what can we do to help? Right? How, how can we help you? Right. How can we help you? We know, you know, we always think we have a thing called tip of the spear. Look at our logo. It's right behind me. You'll see that spear. And that's, a, I won't, won't go into detail because I'll, I'll be long-winded, but that tip of the spear is really the genesis of the organization. The employees are the tip of the spear. And so we got a chance to, to test it, right? And what was neat is that our partners kind of acted like tip of the spear and they couldn't wait to say, well, what can we do to help? Right? How, how, can we, how can we find more work for you guys to do? Because we want to make sure that, that you guys are, are, you know, keeping busy and your employees are, are kept, you know, on, on the payroll, so to speak. So, it, it definitely, it, it was affected by, by especially the corporate campus side, but I think we adjusted and our partners kind of helped us adjust. Did it lead to you adjusting your projection for the year, um, you know, fiscally and also uh, your, your growth uh, plan? We did. We, I mean, uh, we, we actually, I have quarterly board meetings and we adjusted our forecast. You know, you set a forecast annually, but we actually ended up adjusting it every, every quarter. So we would re-forecast every quarter based on what information we had from, you know, in front of us. So it caused us, we, we actually ended up flat or we actually up a little technically we're up year over year, but from a forecast perspective, yeah, we, we were down, we had a pretty aggressive forecast. We were down about 20% from forecast, but year over year up, up slightly. Um, I think the thing that we doubled down on, you know, our, our EBITDA was also down a little, but we knew it was going to be because we, we were spending, you know, to build the infrastructure to, to create scale. And we knew that spend was going to happen in, in 2020. So that wasn't a surprise that EBITDA was down. But we also decided that, you know, during the, the heat of, of the pandemic, um, okay, you say tip of the spear, now, now live it, right? And so we had people that weren't working. We, had, we, had, we probably had, John, a well percentage of our staff, but you know, a good chunk of our staff for, for a period of 60, 90 days, yeah. you know, weren't, weren't, weren't as, you know, busy as they typically are, but we went ahead and we didn't do any layoffs, any furloughs. In fact, we paid a hundred percent bonus. Um, so we, we decided to live tip of the spear. So any, any effects that on, on the revenue 
top top or bottom, uh, mostly on the bottom side, were were uh, kind of planned in in both the the platform build out and then making sure that we uh, kept our employee base uh, intact. So when we come into 2021, you'll you know you've got a super loyal employee and you've got kind of a good platform to grow. Um, so. That, that's a little bit about top line, bottom line, right? Top line, not tons of effect top line, bottom line, we did see it, but it was it was for the right reasons. And, and Scott, when you think about anomalies and spend, 2020 had that for us during COVID. When you rewrap, you know, 45 trucks that, that used to say DTS or ASCO to say SAGE, and you reuniform, you know, 58 people uh, with, with SAGE shirts and winter jackets and uh hats okay yep so you know when you when we rewrap vans from the two companies we'd acquired aceco and dts you know there's an expense when you when you reuniform 58 people with with shirts winter coats hats uh business cards right there's a there's a seven figure spend you won't make every year uh but it was a one-time event that as eric taught had impact on on ebitda during a crazy time with the pandemic, uh, but we went forward with our, as Eric said, as, and acted, acted to, to the letter of what we built when we, when we rebranded the business um, as Sage and Tip of the Spear. And we came up with the Tip of the Spear idea uh, during a strategy meeting as, after we came up with the name Sage, you know, with the idea that, that, and Eric touched on a little earlier, good companies take care of the customer, great companies take care of the employees and the employees will do the rest. Um, and that's what we we wake up and try to live every day. Um, and, uh, you know, some days it's more challenging than others, but uh, most days it's pretty rewarding that you've got everybody that. And we did our, our, uh, our sales and operations kickoff meeting about a month ago. And and one of our, our rock star employees, uh, she actually was our rookie of the year this year. She got our rookie of the year award um, and she's doing phenomenally well. Uh, Svetlana McCulley and. Um, during her, her quarterly review with me, um, she said, she asked me a question, Scott. She says, hey, how do you, how do you rebuild trust? And I, I said, Seth, I'm not sure what you're asking me, but you, you can't talk yourself out of something you acted yourself into. She shook her head, no. I, you know, I think there's people here that are very talented, but at one point they did something wrong and now people won't give them another chance. And to me, it triggered when I got to stand up in front of 58 people during this kickoff meeting to say, you know, we, we talk about tip of the spear all the time and how the employees are the most saviors are the most important thing we have um, and, and treat them that way. And I think somehow in messaging and Eric always, always talking to us about stay on, we've got to all stay on message by communicating. They got the idea that management our executive team and the managers were supposed to treat the, the associates like tip of the spear but they weren't all on board with that. They had to treat each other that way. And now that messaging that has resonated with them saying, hey, everybody treats each other as tip of the spear. And, it, and that's really started to resonate. Now I hear that in conversations every day. So if somebody says, hey, Scott's not doing a very good job. All right, well, how can we help him do better? Don't say that about Scott. Maybe you, you don't understand what workload he's got. So we're starting to hear people really amplify the messaging that originally was taken as, Hey, the, the executive team's going to treat us like tip of the spear, uh, but now they understand it's, it's how they treat each other as well. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about the culture right there. Yep. Yeah. What is the, uh, 
you know, plan in terms of growth. Um, you, you're you're right. such you're so specific in your target. Like you said, you don't want to be the biggest. You want to be the best. So, what does that look like in terms of acquisitions, organic growth? Yeah, I'll give you. Uh, you know, we have a, what we build is a path to a hundred. Um, and and reason I use the word the reason I use a hundred million. It's a target for us. But once you get to a hundred, you kind of what, what you did to get to 100, let's apply it to get to 200, apply it to get to 300, right? So there's a modeling impact. There's a modeling effect of why I say path to 100. But we uh, we have a goal to get to 100 million by the end of this year. Uh, roughly, and these numbers can vary, but about 40% to 50% will come from existing customers, uh, just, just loyal existing customers. Um, roughly 40% will come from M&A. Uh, and the remainder will come from our newly organic sales efforts, of which we've had a, a ton of success already, which I'm super excited about. So it's kind of that mix. Now that's this year. Uh, we are not going to be kind of a, a, a M&A, you know, uh, shop, right? Is is what a lot of people in this industry, you know, kind of kind of how they build organizations. You know, we're very strategic. We, John and I probably looked at 25 opportunities and not done one. Uh, uh, we just, it doesn't either, either the culture doesn't work or the math doesn't work. It's, it's, it's culture or math, right? It, it, to boil it down to simplicity. But our goal is to get to hundred million. That's right now the, the math is, is kind of 50, 40, 10, 50 existing, 40 M&A, 10 organic. Um, that's, and that's also driven by uh, an acquisition that we're, we're getting closer to as we speak. And, and so that, that's helping drive that, that 40% number. Um, that's kind of loosely put where, where, where we kind of see our, our growth. And it'll, as, we, as we mature more, the organic side will take over a larger percentage of that. We have to prove we can grow organically. It's super important for us. Um, we just started the efforts March of last year was when we first hired our first salespeople. Imagine the timing there to be a new salesperson coming into, into 2020, March of 2020. Um, good news is that we stuck with it. Um, like I said before, we tip of the spear, stuck with it and, we're, we're at 40, about 45% of our annual goal through February for organic sales. So we're, we're seeing some real positive momentum there. What about in terms of geographies? You know, how, how do you see that footprint rolling out? And where are you mostly focused right now? Yeah, so I'll tell you where we have a footprint. Um, and I'll give you kind of my, my poke the bear answer. Um, so we're, we, we are in Ohio, we're based, uh, our, our, most of our shared services are based in, in Kent, Ohio, kind of Northeastern Ohio. Uh, we have offices in Dallas, Atlanta, uh, I'm in Charlotte, and then uh, we're about to open up in Knoxville probably in the next 30 days. That's our current footprint. Um, you know, one of the things that I find interesting is that question gets asked all the time, where are your offices? And I, I, I always like to poke the bear and I always ask, why, why do people always ask that question? Well, they always ask, where, how many offices do you have? And I've never, it, it's just, it's always interesting to me why that's the first question that everybody asks. Consultants will ask you that and users will ask you that. I think the industry has been trained. I think the big guys have trained the industry that ask that question because it's our differentiator. We have offices everywhere. Not everybody does. So we immediately have an advantage by just saying we have offices everywhere. I think the question really is, is, is why, why is it so important that I have an office? And, and what we kind of get down to is it's, it's really about quality control or the perception of quality control, right? That you'll have a better process or more, you have a better chance of, of a successful deployment or project if you have an office that's local. Really that boils down to your process. It really doesn't boil down just because you have an office somewhere doesn't mean you're gonna be good, right? I mean, look at all of us in the last eight months, where have you worked? 
where we all work, right? We work remotely and we've been successful doing it because we create a virtual environment. We create processes that we can measure and track. And so, you know, I don't mean to go off track. You see where our offices are. And right now, if you took a, a string and go from, from Ohio to Dallas East, that's where we're focusing on. We haven't, we haven't started a venture to the West. Uh, but I also think that nothing scares us because we have really strong processes. And I think we have a model that can expand quickly. And so I, I, I don't mean to poke the bear a little bit, but I get, I, I, that answer drives me a little bit crazy because that's what everybody, everybody asks for some reason. And I get why they ask it, but, but that's a little bit about my, my answer to that question. So maybe just add a, a little more color to Eric's answer. You know, when Eric asked me, why do they keep asking this? And, and what I, I reckon this back to, Scott, is when, when the alarm companies were powerful and there weren't, there weren't digital circuits, they had direct wire and McCullough, so you had to have an office near the area you were servicing because the, the, the Bell telephone lines only went so far. So you needed offices. And the more offices you had, the more customers you could service. Um, where, where I think it's, it's not as relevant today is we're serving, servicing corporate clients, regulated utilities with thousands of locations in 62 U.S. cities and nine foreign countries. Uh, and we use partnerships to do it. Uh, we parachute our own engineers in to, to make final connections, test, quality control, and train. Um, so we've got good process built around it. We've got good partnerships. Uh, but uh, where, we've, where we add these offices, as Eric's talking about, is when we get these embedded clients that, that need us there, and we'll expand in that area. Do you think that as a result of the pandemic that there's uh, going to be an increase in consolidation. You know, some of the companies that kind of can hack it uh, during this uh, trying time, both from a company perspective and then from a talent acquisition perspective in terms of, you know, maybe there's some people that were freed up by some of those uh, companies that had to let people go and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll answer the macro. You go to the macro side of it is it was happening before the pandemic, right? Consolidation was happening before the pandemic and, I think, you know, the model that we, someone gave me the statistic, I don't know if it's right, but there's roughly 20,000 commercial integrators in the United States and, and fewer than, fewer than 10% have more than 15 employees, right? Um, well, I, I, it was, that was a magazine I read and, and it kind of helped me inform the, 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 the jump into this industry, but it's very fragmented and it's been consolidating. I think the industry is transforming because end users are really pulling integrators in, right? And keeping, having them keep up. That was one of the other takeaways we had. So I think you're going to see con continued consolidation. You know, technology is running so fast and the ability to keep up and, and keep up with the demands of some of these customers. You, you got to have a certain amount of scale just to survive. And so I think those, those, those five, six, seven, eight, ten, ten people, ten person companies are going to struggle to, to maintain, you know, how do you, keep, how do you keep up with all the different lines of business, right, and all the different product solutions, um, as well as kind of service the ongoing ever-changing needs of, of the, the end user, I think it's tough to do when, when you're small. And so I think you're going to see, we saw, like I said, it was, it was happening before the pandemic. I think the pandemic sped it up on a macro perspective. John could talk on the yeah. more and more of the micro side of people side. Yeah. So it's interesting, Scott, you know, we, we look at, Eric and I got to look uh, into 26 integrators in the past 14 months and see their balance sheets, their P&Ls, their AR, their backlogs. Um, and wow, right? And there, there's one 
that that fits our culture and and is financially viable. The other twenty five um, were were scary. Their run rates, their cash. So we have to. They either have to sell their business for the cheap, or they they're going to go out of business. Um, so that that's how scary some of these 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 uh, these challenges are out there. Um, and then even the bigger companies, we've had employees reaching out for us that work for some of the bigger companies that have done furloughs. Uh, they've stopped matching 401ks. They're paying different percentages on benefits. They, they stopped reimbursing for mobile phone, um, you know, all kinds of things like that. So those employees that had good benefits now don't feel like they've been treated so well. So, so the, the, uh, the pool for talent is rich out there uh, right now. Um, so you're able to be very selective and, and hire the best people and give them a good home and, and talk to them about tip of the spear and how they'll be treated here and the opportunities for growth. So um, we've seen the impact on the, on this, the, the regional integrator uh, that, that wasn't maybe paying as close attention over the past years to their financial situation. And now with this slowdown, you know, of, of capital spend in a lot of locations, it's, it's hit them hard in the pocketbook. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like a um, good and bad situation in terms of, uh, you know, the talent. It's always been such a, a deficit for the industry. And now there's some people available, not because of the best reason, but uh, yeah. hopefully that's going to, uh, in the long run, uh, solve some of those talent issues out there. I've never seen in, in any, any industry in any time, right? We went from the tightest labor market I've ever seen <laughs> to the loosest market I've ever seen all within the same year. It, it, it's pretty amazing. So, you know, it sounds to me like you guys are uh, heavily uh, hooked into the recurring revenue model. And uh, are you doing any project-based work or is it all recurring or what's that structure like? Yeah, so our, our recurring this year, our, our goal is to get to 20% of our total revenue will be in recurring, whether that is uh, embedded technicians, service contract, hosted video, hosted access, hosting facial recognition, mobile credentials, uh, a lot of the hosted, you know, hosted cyber programs. Um, so we're, we've, we've, we've got a, a good initiatives to roll everything out uh, to give cloud opportunities to our clients to solve problems. Uh, but, but still about 80% of our work is project generated. A little less and than 80%. Yeah. Is a lot of it coming from RFPs or what type of, you know, uh, source? Yeah, so so uh, Scott, with the, our embedded process, our existing clients, whether they're regulated utility, um, have to keep up with, with FERC and NERC regulations and SIP, SIP requirements, uh, which drives them to put in certain systems. So one of the biggest explosions we've seen in, in project work is, is around OSDP. Um, open source device protocol, right? And and obviously the the we the 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 Prox technology was hacked. The the communications between Wigan uh, panels, intelligent controllers, and the reader, and the card. So we've had so many of our clients calling for upgrades of credentials, readers, and intelligent controllers. We've been swarmed with with uh, OSDP upgrades. Um, so that, that's been a heavy part of our lift. Uh, we still have clients that are, are running, you know, sub, sub Windows 10 technology on their DVRs and MVRs. So 
we've had some big uplifts of NVRs and adding analytics in, uh, upgrading cameras. Still, you still people still have uh, analog cameras out there, so a lot of encoders. So most of our projects are are coming from negotiated business where our our organic team or existing uh, project managers are talking to clients, and the clients have have projects they need to harden their facilities or or change their facilities. And even in the corporate world, as they come back to work, where some people still remain virtual, you're going to have to have more space between people. So they're still going to have the same amount of real estate, just people are going to be spread out a little more. And you mentioned uh, retail and um, utilities. And what are a couple of other verticals that you're really uh, keyed in on? Yeah, so no retail. We don't know. We're not well, touching retail at this point. I was thinking is of, of retail. Yeah, we don't. We don't do their big boxes. We just do their corporate campus footprint. Gotcha. Yeah. So corporate campus is a big focus for us. Uh, uh, data centers, uh, senior living, regulated utilities, um, healthcare, and healthcare. And you mentioned uh, the gunshot detection, which is uh, you know really sort of an emerging area for integrators um what kind of opportunity and growth do you see there so we see a lot so we see you know each of the each corporate campus using it uh when we talk about weapons detection first and, and everybody's i guess trained to talk about gunshot detection but we we try to really stick to deter versus detect so we talk about weapons detection so we're detecting you before you get in um we, we've deployed some large hosted weapons detection systems for corporate clients, um, both hosted. So we, we uh, in, in some regards, they're, they're hosted. Um, so we see a lot of opportunity coming and it plays in duty of care. Once you protect one of your facilities with, with a weapons detection or gunshot detection, you really have duty of care to your employees to do it in all of your facilities. You can't just do it in Charlotte headquarters and, let poor Jim down there in Austin not have the same same duty of care or same security. Mm-hmm. And what about in terms of remote uh, troubleshooting, diagnostics, uh, things like that? You know, how are you leveraging some of these new tools and platforms to not have to roll trucks? Yeah, so uh, secure VPN, right? So we with with our clients, we have secure VPNs into to troubleshoot their system. Um, uh, the manufacturers, you know, have, have done a great job in our industry of building uh, solid hardware that's reliable. Um, we run today uh, just over 500 service calls a month um, and, and have less than 3% return trips on those calls. So still a lot of truck rolls, even with remote servicing. Um, and a lot of time it's, it's client issues, uh, network problems on the client site, um, you know, uh, a lock a lock is bad on the door because of usage usage and abusage, um, and and how how employees are are using that door. Um, you know, we, we still get some some runs that are they're getting alarm on the door. We're getting alarm on the door because it's propped open. Uh, so we, we still get a lot of a lot of those calls. But um, month in a month out, we're just north of five hundred service calls, and that's been a run right now for fourteen months. So it's. Still a lot of truck rolls going on, but we try to troubleshoot remotely before we roll. Um, we're very transparent with our clients, Scott. So each, each client gets a service portal so they can see real time when they place the call, when we receive the call, 
when it was dispatched, when we arrived, and what the resolution was. You know, you touched on it a bit, but, you know, at this point, how do you view the competition? Were you more concerned about, you know, the the super regionals maybe that are in your neck of the woods or the national companies or what are you, what are you looking out for? Um, you know, I think as we look at that, Scott, you know, we, we've, we feel our offering, if we get to tell our story about how we do things and what we do and they check with our references, uh, we've really got an unfair advantage in, in corporate campuses in, without a doubt, in regulated utility space, because uh, our story is second to none as we'll service 7,000 substations through five states for a regula- regulated utility. Um, I don't think many people can match up to something like that. Uh, supporting corporate campuses in 62 U.S. cities and, and nine foreign countries flawlessly, I think, is another separator. So if somebody would listen to our story and check our references before they made a decision, I, I think we, we've separated ourselves from the competition. If we're just filling out an RFP and they're going to decide on low bid, um, then I think, you know, you've got, you got challenges with the, the, the big nationals with their buying power. And you've got challenges with the super regional, maybe not understanding their labor hours and their estimate how long it takes to do something. And, and I say that after looking at 25 regionals that, that I think if they estimated better and, and marked up differently, they, the books would have looked different as, as we uh, reviewed them. So um, at different in different circumstances, you know, in, in the senior living space, you know, there's, there's really not anybody in security pursuing them. It's, a, it's really one-offs. Nobody's got a big concentration in that. In, um, in corporate campuses, um, it's, it's all over the board. Sometimes they're using regionals, sometimes they're using nationals. Um, but we don't see anybody in, in, in particular, and I think it goes back to Eric's earlier comments, we don't want 2,000 customers this year. We want 15 that want to work with us and understand the program that we can set up for them. Do you have like a, you know, how long does it typically take uh, for a salesperson to get trained on what they need to do there or a, a technical person? Sure. Um, you know, obviously, um, you know, our, our manufacturer partners or our technology partners have set curriculum um, for the different levels of, uh, of, of certification, uh, whether it's basic all the way up to a platinum certification. Um, you know, typically there it can take it, it really depends on the employee and the aptitude um, for, you know, two things, their aptitude for learning. But also, it, you know, really, you know, it's, it's us holding them accountable and, and them holding themselves accountable to want to be better, to grow and to want to be the best. And, it, you know, we'll give them the tools and we'll give them the support to do that. Um, but they need to have that, that fire in their belly to, to want to do it, to grow. Same for sales. We want to understand the technology. We want them to understand the partnerships we have. But we also want them to understand the processes of what it takes um, from installation to programming to commissioning a system all the way to service so they can understand that process so that we're providing our clients a, a, a strong solution. Because really, uh, our, our sales you know, relationship with the client. So knowing and understanding those things is a very strong message of who we are when we're telling the story to them. Not, you know, you asked earlier what differentiates us. I think that our team understanding and being knowledgeable, you know, anybody can sell a camera and I'm using that loosely, but, you know, understanding why they're positioning and placing that camera 
and what it's going to take to install it and what the what the uh, cycle is for that equipment is very important for our, our, our sales team as well. Um, so they're not just, you know, mailing it in, so to speak. Gotcha. What about in terms of, uh, and this may be for you or for the other guys, but uh, in terms of partnering with uh, outside contractors uh, or other integrators to provide maybe localized service or, you know, wire pulling and that kind of things, what opportunities are there for, you know, maybe people in our audience uh, to, to uh, you know, partner with or work for um, Sage? Um, you want to? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. So, so Scott, we've, you know, as, as one of the, the PSA uh, shareholders, we use uh, the, our PSA NDP program, National Deployment Program, on a regular basis. With a 32-year history at ASCO and a six-year history at DTS, we've got other partners that aren't always part of the PSA NDP uh, that we use in each country or each city to deploy. We've got relationships with them. Uh, we've been working with them years, so nobody's getting a call for us in Charlotte today to say, "Hey, can you run and and do a take care of a reader for uh, the data center?" Right? They they already know the address. They're in our system. We've already had contact before. We've got got credit history with them. They're insured, certified, uh, and and capable in in that city. So we've we've done some background before they can become a Sage subcontract partner. Um, it's so important to us. You know, we we hosted uh, luncheons in, in a couple of our geographies this year. And one of the awards we gave out, along with our Technology Partner of the Year Award and our, our uh, Distributor of the Year Award, was a Subcontract Partner of the Year Award. And there was criteria to, and, and all the employees got to vote. All, all the associates here at Sage got to vote for who they thought best supported us. And uh, so the subcontract relationships are, are a huge deal when it comes to how we deploy and uh, we have them, you know, run cable mount devices for us before we come in, make final connections, training program um, and quality control system. Um, and then on from a service basis, you know, if, if we've got a site that we've deployed in Seattle and six months later, there's a service call uh, we've got partners that are reliable that'll be there, you know, same day to take care of service. You know, to add to John's comments, you know, we 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 talk about employees being tip of the spear, and clearly that's that's our our, our number one focus again, take care of them, and the rest takes care of itself. But we've we've uh, initiated uh, tip of the spear um, relationships with with all our vendors and subcontractors. You treat them the same way you treat their employees, and they will bend over backwards for you, right? Whether it's Every time we have, we have a new a new Sage swag shirt or hat or or something like that, you make sure they're a part of that. They're a part of your, your holiday celebrations. John, like John said, we have we have uh, Sage partner uh, awards luncheons. Um, we communicate with them frequently, so you kind of apply the same model to to the the vendor slash sub subcontractor world, and you get passionate, empowered partners as well, right? So the same the model works for both. Right. Um, and so we've applied that same tip of the spear model we use for employees. You apply it to, to your, your vendor partners. And I hate that word, but I'm using it for descriptive purposes. But your vendor partners, your subcontract partners, and, and you've got you'll, you'll, you'll create loyalty really, really quick. A lot of people don't don't recognize their vendor partners, their subs and treat them like that. So we found it's been a real big differentiator for us. And I, one other thing, Scott, that, you know, sometimes you just make the assumption, but 
um, paying them on time, right? So they ran out and did a service call for you, paying them in 30 days, like, or if their invoice says 20 days, whatever, whatever you'd agree to, paying them to the term that you've agreed because they're providing service to you. We see, especially some of our national competitors, you know, paying in 90 and 120, that's their subcontract agreement, which is horrible, right? And, and we see some regional people pulling off pay as paid. Um, I, I say manage your cash flow and pay your contractors the date they want the invoice paid. Um, so it seems like such a, yeah, John, of course you do that, but the, the industry doesn't follow suit. Yeah. And in terms of those vendor partners, you know, how much has Sage uh, standardized on, on certain lines uh, versus always looking for, you know, a best of breed or, you know, how do you assess that out? Yeah. So I, I'll give you two things. So, um, 78 and a half percent, and we just left a purchasing meeting earlier today. That's why I know the number 78 and a half percent of our purchases came from 10 technology partners. So, uh, we've got a good concentration and good training around the good subset. And then, then the other 20% are variable. Uh, but to get for us to evaluate a, a new product, we have a product review committee that meets once a month. We'll evaluate three to four new technologies a month with the committee. It's represented by sales, engineering, project management, business coordination. We've got a whole, a whole process around how you get on the chart. So do we have a need for this product? Do we already have a technology that does the same thing? Why are we, you know, if we, somebody came to us with an access platform, what would be the business case? We already have the best access platforms in the industry. Why would we look at another access control platform? If somebody brought us another camera solution, we've already partnered with the best camera technologies in the industry. Why would we look at another one? Um, so it, it, it has to be, you know, when somebody brings us anti-drone technology, yeah, they get a seat at the product review committee table and can present their wares. If a, a cyber solution like eCentire comes to us with a strong cyber solution, they get a seat at the table. If Zero Eyes weapons detection comes to us with a solution, they go to our product review committee. How much has uh, privacy concerns um, become, you know, part of the picture when you're dealing with your end users now and making sure that that's, uh, you know, safeguarded and honored and that sort of thing. And I imagine since you have some business, you know, overseas also, that that must be, uh, you know, something that you have to deal with. Yeah. So GTBR is a, is a big thing, um, especially internationally. Um, uh, so, so we handle that. We've, we've, Eric does, a, as he said, put together a great executive team um, and our HR person or director, Lori Hudnell, does a great job of leading that up and has a lot of interaction with clients around that. Um, so privacy is a, is a big concern, especially internationally. For our, our corporate and utility clients, um, you know, there's a lot of policy and process in place about how you deploy a camera, What's that camera going to see? Where's that reader information go? You sign a lot of documents about who owns the information. Um, and now that, you know, in situations where we're hosting, um, we're managing video and access, right? You've got a lot more questions to answer with IT and, and legal teams inside a company. So as we sit here uh, today, guys, what would you say are your three top, or maybe it's just two uh, challenges, uh, you know, right now? with the business? 
Yeah, so I, I think it's, uh, it's, a, it's around deployments of, of new systems. Uh, the team is ramped up so quickly. As Eric talked about, we're 45% on a, of our organic growth goal for the year, and February is not over yet. Um, so the amount of work that's come in, Scott, and balancing that and staffing for it properly uh, to make sure our, our, our workflow, all our processes are excellent and adding headcount, training headcount to continue to meet the, the demand of that workflow, uh, you know, as it comes in. And we work real hard with the team and the customers to try to forecast when a project's coming in so we can staff properly. But, but getting that forecast from existing customers is easier than getting it from the new customer that isn't in that routine yet. So staffing properly for, for this uh, enormous growth is probably the number one challenge. Yeah. And, and mine's maybe a little different, you know, my, my, my biggest, you know, keep me up at night is actually how do we maintain the culture of the scale? Right. That's, that's, that's difficult. We have a 58 people, we're a strategic leadership team. We don't, we know we're not in a box. Right. And so that culture is, is done through high levels of communication but as we scale, you know, we've got to maintain that culture. And I think it's, you know, just the sheer volume is the size by which we want to grow. Um, that's a big focus is making sure as we grow that we, we maintain that culture. And it's, it's, it's not, uh, it's, a, it's a daunting task. We know that and we're all hyper-focused on it, but that's one of my big concerns. You know, it's interesting, Scott, that Eric said that and it makes me think, think back when Eric uh, got his goals for 2021 from the board, you know, most people think, all right, you're going to have a financial goal. Well, Eric's goals, which became our goals, right, since we're aligned, are around social responsibility, employee engagement, um, then, of course, systems and, and, and some monetary goals. But it was extremely interesting for the second year in a row that a board assigns goals around employee engagement to maintain the culture and, and social responsibility. So to be a good corporate citizen, inside and outside the industry. So whether that's, that's food drives or, or charitable work or uh, Mission 500 work, um, coffee for kids, right? Participating in industry, industry events and, and being a good social, social uh, citizen as a company. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that's a trend that uh, we're seeing more widespread. I know it's within our organization too. And it's something that's kind of cool is that I think the bean counters are, are realizing that you have to have those kinds of things in place in order for the financial returns to be where you want them to be. So no, no question. And it's also, you know, been a phenomenal recruiting tool, right? You find that, that the people who align with social responsibility and the need for it, you know, the, if they have zero desire and zero, you know, care, that, that's, an interesting, that's an interesting thing for us to learn during the interview process, right? And so if we align, if the people who align with social responsibility, they tend to align with a lot of the other, you know, cultural things that make up SAGE. So, yeah, I agree. It's, uh, and I'll tell you, two years ago, I wasn't the, the greatest at social responsibility. You know, it's not something I really paid a lot of attention to in a business setting, in a personal setting you do, but in the business setting, I didn't. And it's probably been the biggest area for me as a trans, you know, transformational thing for me to pay more attention to. And you're spot on. It is, it is, it is here to stay. And, and I, you know, I, I hope our competitors don't pay attention to it because it's, it's been a strategic advantage for us. 
you know, Scott, as we, we talk about culture, and I, I want to make sure we stay on your agenda, but just a, a little more additive, you know, uh, when we moved to SAGE, some of the programs we put in place was, uh, was an internal reward system. So if a customer calls out an employee for doing a great job, uh, we, we created a SAGE football helmet. And uh, they get that helmet and a $100 gift card. If uh, they get another compliment for, for the, from a, cost, a different customer, the same customer, they get a tip of the spear sticker, like a Buckeye put on their, their helmet uh, and another $100 gift card. Um, we've got anniversary pins, right, for people that have been here one year, five year, 10 years, 15, 20, 25, 30 years with the company. They get, they get anniversary pins with, with that number on them. Um, employee referral. So if we've had employees refer other employees to come to work here, which is your greatest compliment. A nice $500 bonus they get. Um, uh, we've got a, if they refer a customer to us, we've got a bonus program for them. So recognition awards, you know, we talked about our operations and sales kickoff meeting. We had uh, a rookie of the year award, a PM of the year, a service technician of the year, and a tip of the, tip of the spear award winner. The person in the company that most amplifies, exemplifies what tip of the spear is. And this year, our winner was uh, Jared Alexander. He's one of our national project engineers out of Atlanta. And, uh, you know, I, I could go through a thousand things that he does to get up to make them. But, uh, you know, I think employee recognition is where I'm headed is, is a huge part to say, hey, are you really tip of the spear? And how are we recognizing employees and, and how, how we do that? And, and, and little things for the culture in the office as far as, you know, decorating contests around holidays and, and things like that. So the employees really, really are, are into each other and, and into the business. Thank you, John. So big picture, bigger picture, um, you know, how much do you see a rebound for the rest of this year uh, for not only your company, but the security industry at large. And, um, you know, when we meet a year from now, what will success look like for you? Yeah, I'll take a little bit of that. And, and I'm sure John or Jim can take a little bit as well. You know, I look at 20, 2021, what's interesting is I think there's a real um, hunger to get back to normalcy, right? I think it's, it's whether it's, it's, it's the social aspect of what we do as human beings, um, or in business, but there's a real desire to get back to normal, right? We, we've got there, it, it, we've got fatigue, right? The, the, the society's got fatigue. 2020 created fatigue. So I think I think I, from a macro perspective, that's really I think it's our, our industry as well. We're seeing I think 2021 is really kind of what 2020 was supposed to be, right? Is is simply put from our from Sage's perspective, right? If you look at our goals for for our, you know, from the top line, bottom line, some of the, some of those type of goals, it's really what we had in, in line with 2020, right? And, and so it's kind of, I think, a little bit of a reboot. Um, and our customers are, are, are about the same. No, we don't really, we didn't see a lot of, a lot of uh, project go away. We saw them kind of postponed and pushed, pushed out. So I think there's, I think there's a real strong, I just was talking to somebody this morning about this. There's a real strong desire to get back to normalcy and I think we're seeing it. We're seeing it with our customers. We're seeing it with our employees. We're seeing it with, you know, their budgets and their spends. So I kind of twofold, right? I think it's. I think everybody wants to get back to some sort of normalcy. 
And we're seeing that, you know, we're seeing that bear fruit, you know, top line and bottom line. Well, gentlemen, John, Eric, Jim, thank you so much. It's been thank a pleasure. You, We appreciate your interest and encourage you to subscribe to Security Sales and Integration and its newsletters. Regularly visit securitysales.com for the latest news and follow SSI on social media.